0: The subject for the evening talk is A Force for Change. Upon uh, uh, returning from uh, uh, overseas there were um, two particular uh, uh, items which were of uh, interest to me and um, both of the, both of them being given some uh, media uh, attention and one one of them concerned in the uh, last few days while I was away a visit of uh, the BBC uh, television to uh, Totnes and it seems that on the um, BBC television news, breakfast news as they call it um, they had been visiting various parts of uh, Britain and having some meetings with various people of what's going on in a particular locality and among the places that they decided to visit uh, was uh, Totnes and particularly the uh, alternative scene and so they met with uh, a number of uh, people uh, there and um, I had just arrived in, if I may say, rather uh, late on the uh, Thursday night and was unable to travel from Heathrow Airport down to uh, uh, Totnes to home which is just a few miles, a few kilometers from here and I turned on the television in the uh, instantly forgettable hotel bedroom, and lo and behold, there's uh, Totnes and Satish Kumar and um, Morris Ash um, speaking about Buddhism and um, the middle way and alternative lifestyles and etc. And it uh, occurred to me that it's something of a reflection of the times that we live in where a growing number of people feel the pressure, the stress and the intensity of life the acute degrees of busyness that go along with it that there's enough inner voices going on inside to say that it's too much and something needs to change, but Very few, perhaps, who are willing to find that force for change inside of themselves and the compelling circumstances of life driving one from one situation to the next and to the next. And sometimes our politicians make these pathetic murmurings about the importance of re-establishing a community and finding that for the talk there's too little of it and though to its credit in various places, cities and in rural situations people are finding ways to reach out to each other to have that sense of community but too often the complaint is of separation of alienation and uh, the lack of community. And sometimes, just a, a small um, aside on um, on that for a moment, um, for those of you who are um, fated to be living in this country for whatever period of, of time will have heard of the conflict and the confusion that takes place between um, the politics and Westminster of this country and of uh, Europe, uh, of the continental uh, Europe. And, to, and the complaint of all the power is going from Britain to, to these people who live across the English Channel. But some of us feel well, the central government has got its comeuppance, because the same com- complaint can be made about the situation for many of us when there's a terrible loss of community and control and power keeps going to the centre. And just as that happens politically in this world a great deal it also happens religiously as we know it can happen through gender uh, and through various voices of authority. So all of that when we come to look at ourselves and our, our relationship uh, to life that force for change has to come as much from within as it does from without. As much from within as it does without. And when I, when I got home, I hadn't been away, I'd hardly been away and there were, if I may say, 25 telephone, not that I'm very popular, but there were 25 telephone messages left on my answering machine and even then somebody who had stayed in the house had left the phone off the hook for four, day, for four days and made me laugh. One of them was from the BBC and it said, a person rang up and said oh, because I've been loitering around the Tottenham scene for 15 years and said, would you like to appear uh, live on breakfast television news in part of this programme? and the thought arose in my mind but I suppose it's better than appearing dead but... uh, uh, No, I'm not so sure actually, come to think about it. So, here's the movement towards change which is uh, taking place and sometimes in that we expect this is the point I'm trying to get to in a rambling way we expect more change from others than we are prepared to make for ourselves more demands on others, whether it's called our politicians or whether it's called our religious leaders, if one has such or from our parents or educators or whatever then we are actually prepared to find and realise and express for ourselves and therefore it's no easy matter in life realising and discovering a force for change and how often do you and I deflect that by criticising, judging, blaming and condemning and perhaps it's a kind of diversion from the slowness for ourselves, for change which you and I might realise is necessary, is appropriate and where on earth are we going to find the energy and the determination from to make it happen. The uh, second um, item which um, also generated some interest from me was that for some um, weeks now the publicists have been putting out on behalf of the Anglican Church a very important, it was said, uh, speech that Dr George Carey would be making which he did on Friday about the moral spiritual state of uh, this country and those of you who are coming from overseas and most of you uh, are which could be a reflection of the moral state of this country um, could be applied anywhere else as well of course and in the Dr George Carey is the Archbishop of of Canterbury and the head of the world's Anglicans of course the major aspect of the, the Christian Church and on uh, Friday he made this rather long-awaited speech uh, of his and in that expressing concern, as I said, for the moral spiritual state of affairs in Britain and indirectly I suppose I might say in the West or anywhere and in that he tended to target, from what I read in the newspaper and heard on the radio towards the situation of what is taking place uh, in our school and as well as in, in general and perhaps in that there's again some kind, I felt, diversion or distraction which is taking place and unfortunately words like moral and as someone said to me today, words like spiritual sometimes you and I can hear them and perhaps hear them too much, too long, too frequently and in the end, rather than these words serving some use, it produces a certain caution because of the sheer frequency of the use and also the pressure on us. And the Archbishop of Canterbury was speaking to degeneration and moral relativism, etc and how we need to take a very strong stand on these things and I'm not questioning or disputing uh, that. But so often in all of these uh, uh, areas the lines are not so very, very clear. And as one knows in Dharma teachings, in these kind of teachings, the first one, let's take the first one for a moment of any... Uh moral ethical code generally has to be along the principle of not killing has to be some morality and relationship to uh, not killing and how easy it has been for a long long time in any religion um, talking Buddhism as much as any other how easily this can be subverted to a view which the nation-state often has says, yes, we are a moral Christian nation or whatever it might be um, killing is wrong but, um, but only in the form of murder killing is completely okay if it's in the form of um, killing people from another country who one regards as a threat very convenient usage of uh, language there, so that the nation-state, as it were, pulls in people believing in a religious moral belief and acting out in the form of killing I'm just using it as an example. The further issue that relates again back to us and our relationship to ourselves, how, in a situation where there's moral issues in life how quickly, how very, very quickly we can justify the actions of our people of our nation and of our government justify killing and I wonder, can there be that kind of justification in that kind of widespread generalised way of people So all of this keep coming back to the same uh, theme again, is for change to take place and the movement for inner inner change it requires and demands of you and I a real looking into what we give support to. and I think perhaps the Archbishop was, hoping and uh, appealing for is to be extraordinarily aware of what we give support to in language One may say, well I'm not going to kill somebody or um, uh, uh, I give support to community or whatever the important theme is in our life but somehow all of that has to be backed up with a force for change What way are you and I and others that we know contributing to that? If there's any change that goes on in our life and any steps that we make for change it would be hard to imagine in life making changes in one's own life which do not upset other people. If you think of any period in your life where you have made a change, that means a movement from the old and the familiar and the known, say to the unknown or to the new, I bet you would find it extraordinarily difficult to remember those moments and times and imagine that everybody that you knew was very happy about it. Much of the times when we make changes somebody is upset by it and sometimes the measure of the force of change sometimes gets reflected in the degree that one, uh, that other people are upset by it and some people have the thought has occurred to them they've made a force of change and then their parents possibly are very upset by it and the person who's made the force of change says, Haha, now I know I'm on the right line so I'm not saying that's in every case of course, thank goodness especially as a parent and so in change one sets off a wave a ripple and the wave and ripple can go near or far. And in the kind of culture that you and I uh, live in at the time, as we know and as everybody comments, the speed of change is significant. So if you look at today, at your thoughts, and the moods and the states of mind which you have been experiencing through today, it will, for all of us, have included Thoughts for Change. And you may have had a whole range of ideas today about things that you would like to change. And plenty of those thoughts which have uh, arisen during today will just come and pass, but as you and I know will have no authority to them, they'll have no power to them, Mm they'll have no transformative movement to them they'll just be good ideas and places like this are drowning in extraordinarily good ideas and one can spend the day just playing with a few of them backwards and forwards, who's going to know you're sitting there Buddha-like body and mind all over the shop. And always play through. It's rare and unusual, no, not rare and unusual, but sometimes the ideas, of course, are hostile, they're negative, they're harmful, there's thoughts of revenge in them, there's thoughts of envy and desire, which is of an unsatisfactory characteristic, and one there has the duty in a way, human duty to let those go and give them up as quickly as possible but what about the thoughts which are useful, are valuable are a contribution to, towards uh, making change and yet lack the energy and the force for that change to actually take place How is one going to make a good idea into an action and into a genuine statement of one's awarenesses and values in life? And it's not unusual, and those of us who work with the field of the inner life a lot, it's not unusual for people to spend days, weeks, months, years and decades in the circulate, circulating idea within but no meaningful uh, creative action out of it. What would make the difference for us? And perhaps it's in these moments when you and I then begin to take an honest appraisal of our situation and we begin to say to ourselves actually all the thinking about isn't doing me any good. It's a nice idea or a nice nice thing that I'd like to do if only I could do and all that thinking about isn't making any difference whatsoever and so therefore if I think more and more it's not making any difference I've either got to let go of the idea and just admit to myself that there's no point, it's an escape, it's a diversion from the reality of my existence and therefore it's, every thought is an avoidance, not a creative idea. Or I've got to address somewhere else inside of me which is non-thought which will somehow or other invigorate and enliven the thought so that out of it comes a shift of consciousness I am forced to do something it will just push me along in its own evolutionary way shall we say and the meditation process and teachings and these practices are intended to be a really significant and invaluable contribution to that. Sometimes people come and they understandably will say why all this monotonous repetition of the here and now? And in the old text the Buddha um, uh, used two concepts uh, that is... uh, dite dame and it gets translated rather freely actually here and now but uh, dite means the view of the view, the view of and dame means a thing or a thought or a teaching or a practice or whatever dite dame and encourages this abiding in the view of a thing here and now. And that abiding which we speak of, for some would say, oh what, what's so important, understanding what's so significant about the here and now, what's so significant about sitting here, morning noon and blooming night, having to uh, watch one's breath, or um, walk uh, so slowly and uh, zombie-like that it, makes the neighbours worry, or whatever. And one could easily end up with the impression, and some have, that the teachings are really about being here and now in some absolute sense, and then start drawing from um, um, uh, Hinduism and start making something very special out of it, calling it the eternal now which is really eternal nonsense and therefore bringing awareness to the here and now is not to make the here and now special and sacred and unique and, uh, and give it a hugely inflated status which it doesn't have it's a doorway, it's a contribution to uh, enlightening the consciousness and it's a contribution as well towards in probing more deeply into things something can happen which with wisdom and skillfulness has an impact on the intuition has an impact on the creative idea and has the impact which brings about its expression. It's much more for that rather than making a specialness out of the here and now. It isn't special. Just what it is. And what yesterday's here and now was and today's and tomorrow's some variations in the appearances of the here and now but it's a way of saying what's that before the thought arises? What's that to, to be in touch with the very raw bare experience and perhaps out of that something in the energy something in the vitality in the sensibilities in the feelings in the connectedness in the ditté dharmé in the view of a thing something in all of that enliven so that we're not living in good ideas or not such good ideas and that being a dominant thread of our life thinking about thinking about thinking doesn't do too much for us and therefore there's a kind of being informed and that movement for change to take place In a situation like here, being here um, the expression of being here can be a kind of uh, uh, subtle expression of the, of how the rest of our life is. And uh, what I got in mind here is we could be saying, well, my rest of our life I'm going from one thing to another and then and I'm in a state of ambivalence shall I do this or shall I do that, I go backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards and one arrives here, the same state of mind can be occurring shall I do this, shall I go here, shall I take more food, take less food shall I do this sitting, shall I miss this sitting, shall I go to the group meeting in the morning shall I not go to it, or whatever it might be all subtle expressions and with those subtle expressions, as one person was pointing out today there's a certain kind of separation or fragmentation that takes place in consciousness and when there's that salai or shantai, no fragmentation we are unusually vulnerable to having accidents and accidents all too easily in, in our lives is through the mind not being mindful not being attentive, being fragmented and then suddenly something happens. And then it can be that for a small event in our life called accident, whatever it might be the consequences of one apparent error can go on for days, weeks, months, years. So, the presence of being here and now, the application of bringing mindfulness um, to the here and now can giving and does give a source of protection for a long period of time to come. To give you an, e- to give an example, I remember on a retreat in this case in gaya years ago, Um, Sometimes people who go to India from the west they wear the lungi, you know, the wrap around the cloth weather is quite hot and it's a a way to feel reasonably cool and one um, uh, young guy decided that he wanted to run and he'd only taken one or two steps and his big toe Caught in the front of the lungi, and he took off like in like concord fashion, and the poor fellow landed on his knees, on his hands, stubbed his uh, big toe, grazed his knees, bruised his chin, and, uh, and and his hands. Lungi left lying behind in the background and looked a rather forlorn state there. Meanwhile, the others were trying to do their walking meditation. (laughs) So I just happened to be uh, there uh, watching of course (laughs) the local Indian community always thought Westerners were eccentric and that was a living proof and or dying proof I thought for a moment and when I um, when when I went up to him, I you know, said, "What happened?" And he said, "Well, I thought spontaneously—if um, ever there was such a misuse of a word—that was it. <laughs> I thought spontaneously I'd go for a run." <laughs> well, if that's the result of being spontaneous. I think we should do without being spontaneous for the rest of our existence. So I said to him, and it's an area for anyone us to reflect upon, what's the difference between being spontaneous and being impulsive? What is the difference in spontaneity and impulsiveness? And sometimes, as we know, with impulsiveness, there we get an idea we're driven in that moment and all hell breaks loose for ourselves if not for, for others that there's a kind of blind spot uh, which can take place on a sudden impulsiveness to do something of course at times an impulsive move might work out and then we rephrase the language we say, well I, was just, I, was, I had this spontaneous idea and Again, in touching deeper with ourselves and getting to that kind of pre-thought experience, pre-words, pre-ideas, pre-imagination, getting in touch with that, it can and does mean for some people that one almost bypasses the field of thinking, 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 thinking. That there's an awareness, there's a a depth of being, there's a, a, a presence, and there's barely a thinking about the step, that there is a clarity and from that clarity through that rather developed and trained focus of attention one sees and one acts and it's as though the field of thought hardly needs a place in it and sometimes we have experienced that kind of focus, clarity firm steps or steps of what to do And it's produced that change. So there's sometimes with the meditation and the focusing, it's that. And then in relationship to getting the thought clear, there's a firmness of mind and heart about it, and we take the steps. And sometimes, as I say, hardly any thoughts, clear seeing, steadiness, and a direct step which is taken. And therefore our existence isn't going backwards and forwards between the idea of choices shall I do this or shall I do that? and all these choices of shall I or or shall I are a force of tyranny on the mind never mind the the culture of choices that we are supposed to live, live in choices is often a polite way of saying my mind is completely out of control. It's going from back from one thing to a, another. I can't make up my mind. Actually, I'm making my choices. Actually, it's just movement of mind, often in the emotions, going backwards and forwards, and it's producing, in thought, shall I or shant I? It's the deeper inner life, that's pre-thought, gets steady, calm, relaxed, genuinely in t- touch with it, We will be living in this world of backwards and forwards between one choice and another. The sense of things will be coming from a steadiness and it's the here and now which is one of the best and most valid supports for steadying consciousness and the heart to see clearly, to act directly. And the teachings are about that. (coughs) In that Change in transition, and some of you, just from the group today and the one-to-one, are very noticeably and very distinctly uh, in such a period uh, of our of one's life, of our life, or whatever. And as I said earlier, if one is in obvious forms of change, of course we're always in change. We could say from one moment to the next, anyway that sometimes there is a kind of acceleration of the sense of change for us. And with that, for some, the change is going from the old to the new. It can be easier or more difficult because, owing to the contrast between the old and the new. And for others, the change, quite tangible and uh, evident to oneself, is from the old, but not knowing what the new is. And therefore, there can be extended periods of our life when the actuality is don't know. All I know is what I'm leaving behind. I don't know what I'm coming to. I really don't know what's next in my life. And if you and I are not steady in the not knowing, We can't live with the experience of not knowing and the result of it will be a tremendous proliferation and production of thoughts and choices. And the thoughts and choices are not really thoughts and choices they are actually statements which are saying I can't bear living with not knowing. And, therefore, as I say, the more you and I can steady ourselves again to that, which is steady without the field of thinking going on, and therefore, for some it will be learning to be and to live with not knowing. Because the not knowing is the key to knowing. Not the thinking about, shall I or shan't I. And we lose faith in that experience of not knowing, and we put our faith in the movement of the mind and in the production of lots of ideas, thinking somehow if I think long enough about something I'll come up with a decision about it usually one's so utterly exhausted one gives in to the next thought so coming back to before the thinking is arising and the settling in of the being and learning to be with not knowing and, as I say, out of that deep intimations of life and clear actions genuinely can emerge for us and therefore not knowing is a contribution to the force for change And as I said, a number of you I know are actually right in this position at the the present time, going from the old to the new or going from the known to the unknown and it requires a lot of uh, uh, space In the force of change as well the other aspect of it is, and it's rather a, uh, an important one, is we also tend to, all too easily to put <coughs> um, too much faith sometimes in ourselves and say, well it all rests with me, It all it's all down to me, it's my life, it's my truth, it's my decision or whatever and the self, the I, the me, the my can take too much responsibility and uh, with that, especially for the force to change quite often we need each other and in that needing of each other it comes through exploration and inquiry but also equally it comes through uh, inspiration as well. And sometimes in contact and communication with each other we're not always the best of friends to each other. So somebody is wishing to make changes in their life and that person is obviously struggling in his or her attempts to make uh, changes and sometimes our conservative viewpoint things. Keep putting the damp- damper on people, and um, say, well, why do you want to do that? Are you really sure you want to? Do- I mean, it's so much nicer where you are, etc. And the person then begins to internalize some self-doubt, They're trying to make changes, trying to make steps, and then we come in and easily inhibit that situation or that or that person rather than listen carefully and attentively to that person, to connect with that person so that we're not going to be a barrier if we sense that the the change that the person makes is somehow a statement of coming to uh, taking a risk and something uh, insightful and wholesome about it even if it sets waves going on around us. So attentiveness to each other in the making, making of the changes in life matters a great deal and therefore I say you and I can support each other. And I mention this because sometimes you will know people who are making or trying to make changes in their life. And you'll sit here and you'll walk here and you'll think of somebody that you know and he or she is making changes, there's something in steps, in, in leaps, in risks, in evolutionary movements going on inside the person and your thoughts may be, I don't want him to do that, I don't want her to do that, I don't want them to do that. And it sparks control issues. I want to hold on to, I want to keep, I want to stop and therefore I say in the force for change you know, I not only have to be looking at what's going on with ourselves but also and equally what's going on with others who we are thinking about and just just being clear and wise and watchful of the degree of self-interest that can be taking place. I want to grow, develop, change, transform as a human being but I'm going to do my very best to stop you. Because if you change, I'll feel insecure. If you move on, I'll feel abandoned, or whatever it might be. And in the dynamic culture that we uh, uh, live in, and finding wisdom and clarity of the heart, it does mean recognising the force of change, and as I say, sometimes we have to look at that in relationship to others as much as we do in relationship to ourselves therefore I say, let's give support to to each other and it can be threatening In that I'm not saying I might have left a a residue of impression here that I'm saying all change is good and I am not saying all change is uh, good I'm just saying those awarenesses and changes where deep and intuitively we recognise changes of value. We must keep the heart and mind open for that both for ourselves and for others and that's no easy task for a human being. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings discover the force for insightful change. May all beings go deeply into things. So let's have our two or three minutes of uh, silence together, shall we please?